Welcome to TL's Roadhouse. Travis Denny in the house. Good to see you, brother. It's good to see you, man. So the first time we met, we were actually uh, on a golf course. It was me and you and uh, uh, Randy Hauser, I believe. Yep. You're a left-handed golfer, and you didn't have any clubs, and you hung out for a little while. I did. I pretty much ate hot dogs and drank, <laughs> which is and usually I, what I do when I'm golfing anyways. Watch me hack around, yeah. Oh, man, that was, yeah. that was so fun, dude. That was a blast. I mean, I woke up, and I had actually just met Randy maybe like two weeks before and I met Randy at the boat ramp at Old Hickory because really? I was wearing a blue Columbia, just like PFG, but it was like the two-lane brewing, which is Luke Bryan's beer company started, and they had sent it in like a little, you know, gift basket or whatever. Free stuff that we get. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. that Lots I wear the hell out of. Absolutely. And as I'm pulling up, there's a boat in front of me, and I notice that the guy in front of me is wearing the exact same shirt. And I'm like, well, I guess that, he's probably in the music, but, you know, whatever. I pull up, and I went, Damn, I thought I'd be the only one at Tulane PFG. And he turned around, it was Hauser, and he had broke he had broke the hook off his winch. And he was like, Man, you got any scissors around here? And I'm like, Man, he's struggling right now with the boat. And that was the first time we met. And then and then two weeks later we played that show and that that was a blast. I love Hauser, man. He is such a singer, man. That guy's got a set of pipes. One on of him. the best, man. He's, he's like Ronnie Dunn 2.0 a little bit. Like he has some Ronnie things that he does that i think is so good he does and and i love his style man the last show that i worked with him he's got such a cool stage presentation where he just kind of has his little unit set up real tight man and they just go out there and they just tear it up it's just rocking it's just rocking it's very soulful and it just it just it moves you man he's just a powerful singer and just a great guy no doubt 100 percent. so let's talk about you that's why you're here welcome to the podcast you are uh, I don't know how many guests I've had so far. We're kind of staggering through the release and all of it, but thank you for being Absolutely, here. Absolutely, man. And uh, good to sit down and visit with you and get to know you a little bit. I, I know you're from Georgia. Uh, Georgia is still ranked number one, and whenever this airs, I don't know exactly when that's going to be, but uh, Georgia it might get beat by Tennessee. Like, 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 like I said, this is gonna this is coming after we beat Tennessee, so we should still be number one. But uh, no, I'm a dude. I'm, it's a crazy year. I mean. Other than Ohio State, I think everybody looks beatable. And and I say that, I don't mean to give Ohio State props, but, like, I don't really know if they've truly been tested yet by, like, a great team. But obviously well, Ohio State looks good, and, and Ole Miss looks good, too. you got to yeah, give Ole Miss that, some credit, too. 100%. And, I mean, I mean, USC just fell to Utah, but, I mean, it was kind of a last-play thing. But, I mean, every, it looks like everybody – can be taken down if the right team takes them this year. Yeah, and, and you know Tennessee just had that that uh, beat over uh, uh, Alabama this last few weeks ago, and you know that they got that big hundred thousand dollar fine and all that stuff that came <laughs> crashing down. You know, come on, guys. I mean, I, I understand everybody got excited, but why do you have to throw the goalpost in the river? <laughs> yeah, that, that I would have just cut off a piece and kept it for myself. You know, I'd been yeah. like, I, I'm some a, alumni I just wrote a check for it. Though. Oh, a hundred percent. Shoot, they made probably a hundred million dollars off of that game. Probably. Oh my gosh. I will say that was, I think, like no team should have any shame taking a loss of that game. That was one of the best football games I've ever seen. Yes, it was. It was a great football. I put it right up there uh, with the playoff game between the Chiefs and the Bills last year. That was Damn. insane. Yeah. I mean, that would. Did you watch the rematch recently? I did. It was. They, I mean, there's there's a lot of good football going on. There, right now. there really, really is. is. There really is, man. I'm just uh, as a Georgia fan, I spoke to someone about a month ago, and we were just you know talking about last year and this year and how everything feels. I mean, Georgia just feels like they have finally arrived, you know, at this kind of uh, elite status where they're at least in the conversation every year. And 
it's hard for me not to be cynical, right? Because I grew up and I've, I've been heartbroken by Georgia sports left and right. Yeah. But someone told me, they said, I think the good old days of Georgia football are right now. And I do agree with that. And it's been, dude, when we won last year, it was like, I mean, the largest, you know, 20, you know, 29 year old monkey off my back. As long as I've been alive, you know, that was the first one I finally saw. And so, I'd like for them to go back, but this year I'm taking a vacation from getting too serious about it. <laughs> well, you know, I think so much of it is about reestablishing a culture, and that comes from the leadership of the coach and the staff around the coach. Now, see, I grew up in Arkansas, so I'm a Razorback fan, so Pittman's trying to get Arkansas back on track, and I love yes. the way that he's come in and reestablished the character of that football team, and he appreciates the tradition and the history and all the stuff that came before. And they're on a good trajectory, too. You know, they've, they they've, are. I, they've I had think a couple he, of bad games. You, Jefferson, you know, he was out uh, – right with a concussion protocol thing a while back, but they're, they're really on the right track, too. There's a lot of good football teams in the SEC. I, I think Coach Pittman, like, is the guy, 100%. I mean, like you said, the history, I mean, like, he was there prior and everything, and I don't know, man, when he was at Georgia, I remember so many people telling me, they're, you know, they're like, what's the secret weapon to Kirby and stuff? And they were like, Coach Pittman. Because he, he's such a great recruiter. Yeah. And, man, this day and age, that's the, that's the part that really matters. Absolutely. That's what happened to LSU, you know. When Coach O, after they won the national championship at LSU, he just he just kind of <laughs> – he had other things that were more important to him, for, I think. For sure. <laughs> that's for what sure. I hear anyway. Yeah. <laughs> God bless him. He had a big time. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> hey, he did, man. Hey, go Tigers. You know. <laughs> go Tigers, yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. So, uh, you're on uh, Universal Mercury, is yes, that right? Sir. Yep. And how, how long have you been on that label? I signed there in 2017, and uh, my first single came out in 2018. So, next year will be, next March will be five years from my debut single. And you've had how many singles since? That I've had, well, I've gone to radio with uh, four singles. Wow, in five years. Yeah, I know. One, one was a top 40. One was the number one, and then the the other two we just don't even talk about. <laughs> Man, it is so hard to get uh, momentum in this business. Uh, you know, so much of it comes down to just having a great staff that believes in you. And, but but there, you you have so many people fighting for such a small amount of space in the chart system. It's crazy, days. man. It's, it's insane. Tough. You know, I've had somebody tell me one time, you know, on the promo side of things that they were – they were talking to a program director who had just come over from like pop and had never worked in country. And this, um, you know, promo rep was talking to the program director and said like, what's the biggest difference you see like with country versus pop? And they're like, well, in pop, they're like, I dealt with, I don't know, you know, 10, 12 labels. And they're like, I think I speak to 40 to 45 labels in country music. I mean, there's so much music it is so crazy i mean i do think we are in a time now and i've been uh, very fortunate to reap some of those benefits of like there are so many avenues to reaching fans now absolutely you know and i think you know i feel like when i first moved to town it was like man if you did not have a hit on radio like you could just go ahead and sit on the sidelines and and i, I still think a hit on the radio is like the biggest audience reach and accomplishment but you know we've been fortunate to still be on some great tours and, and streaming and things of that nature. And, you know, I thought it's, uh, and 
I think it's hard for the fans to understand too, and I'll kind of put it in perspective. You've got a current playlist of of new and active songs of about eighteen, nineteen songs, yeah, and that that's in the top forty. And so for every label, every label say bare minimum has four acts. That's that's how they justify their promotion staff. So they're working a minimum of four acts, and you've got all these barrage of labels. You've got you know your 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 BMG and your RCAs and your Universals and all the spinoffs and the derivatives that. The, under their own distribution. Right. So you've got dozens of record labels that are all trying to jockey for this small amount of space. You've got your A-list artists like your Luke Bryans and your Luke Combs and your Jason Aldeans and, and all that stuff, you know, so you know who your A-list people are, but you're fighting for a small amount of space on there. Totally. And it's so hard to get momentum. So once you get momentum, if you get two or three back-to-back, you really got to go out there and work your tail. Oh, yeah. Keep that momentum going because if you get it going, the hardest thing to do is get it going again once it stops. Uh-huh. Hundred percent. I Tyler Farr told me one time, and you know how funny he is. He was like, "Hey man," he goes, "He goes, man. The only thing you need is you need three back to back, and then after that, you just need two more. And then once you hit then, there, really, five really, all you need is five more. And then, if, dude, if you could just get three after, I mean, it was so. He goes, and then you can finally relax, knowing you only need two more after that." I'm well, like, oh I'll, I'll tell you what I haven't I haven't had a record the last tra- the last record that I worked on the chart that we did was finally friends or and that was like 08 so you know I've been playing around with secondary radio and social streaming and all that other stuff since then but I'm telling you what it's uh it's it's just it's very difficult to compete with all the major labels when you're not in in the mix anymore. Totally. Once you get out of it, it's hard to get that momentum established again. Yeah, but you can but you can go on stage and play for ninety minutes to two hours and and kick faces in because yeah. of, of everything. You've I was had blessed, and everything I, you're still having. You know? Yeah, and I, I was blessed to to be at a different time. Where I mean, back then we were getting you know record was twelve to fourteen weeks up the yeah. charts in and out, so we were getting three to four singles a year. Da- David Lee Murphy said after twelve weeks, if you weren't top twenty, they just moved on. Oh yeah, he was like, "Oh, this ain't working." They didn't flog it, you know. <laughs> they didn't flog it, and you and you jockeyed for position. Sometimes, if you had a really hot record, you'd stay in there for two or three weeks. Most of the time, you get you one, get out of the way. You know, yeah. you just go up and grab your slot and move on back out of the way and get ready to come with the next single. But it's so different now, man. It's just it's extremely different game that they play these days. Totally. So how so how's the how's the record? How many acts are on your label, man? I mean, I think there's a good bit. I mean, it's like me, uh, Chris Stapleton, Maddie and Tay, Billy Currington, uh, Priscilla Block. I think they just signed a new guy that I think Dalton Dover is his name. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, like Shania Twain is technically still there. Mercury. But I think, you know, she's just going like, hey, go, go play my shows and rock and roll. And- you know, I remember back in the 90s, you know, Shania Twain and Toby Keith, and there was, what was the other act? There was the trio that they put out that they were trying to break at the same time. They were all on Mercury Records, and they put them out on the road as the trio packages that they were working at the same time. Dang. That was You probably never met Harold Shedd, because Harold Shedd no. ran, ran that whole thing over at the music mill and all that stuff back then. That was that was the glory days back that then. That was just, but, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun back on Music Row. I, I, I've heard so many stories about the 90s where, like, I mean, producers would have five master sessions going on at the same damn time. And oh, just, yeah. And they would be like, call me if there's a problem. Well, I... I, I got to work with James Stroud a lot. And, that's that's who I'd heard. And Stroud, Stroud learned from Bowen. So when Jimmy Bowen moved to Nashville from L.A., he set up a recording structure where he he had he had like several rooms 
they all had the exact same consoles in them. They had the exact same real machines. They had the all the all the gear was the exact same, and he had engineers that were all trained to function the exact same way that he wanted them to do. And he would manage multiple sessions at the same time, and he would just pop in and oversee what was going on, and then be there for the vocals. He'd, you know, so he was he was managing a lot, and Stroud learned from that. So he would be doing multiple sessions at the same time, Damn. which is 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 it's it's. it's production on, on a, an assembly line kind of thing right totally. but but you know stroud did it really well if you think about the early 90s he had clint black yep john anderson's resurgence me tim mcgraw clay walker my question for you is do you feel like back then when i mean just records were selling like hotcakes getting a single borderline didn't even matter as a songwriter because if you had a song on a big record it was going to sell enough to make money do you feel like songs were better back then because there was less pressure to deliver a certain kind of song because of how, like, my point is, if you wrote a great ballad, a great story song that was really country and, and, and heartfelt, nobody was going like, well, we can't write that shit because it's not going to get played on radio or the chances of it getting played are fewer. Do you feel like songs were better or do you feel like not really? I, I think in some ways they were because uh, the palette was broader. Uh, and, you know, a songwriter back then, you know, if, if you got several album cuts a year, you were making a really good living. You were right. making multiple six figures a year. Nowadays, because of record sales being gone for the most part and everything moving to a streaming platform, you know, you've lost a lot of that, that revenue. So it's it, everybody's focusing more on radio, and I think it's gotten more to – Things are more. They 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 seem to think that they found the perfect tempo. You know, the, so everything kind of sounds more homogenized to me a little bit. But yeah. I feel like we're breaking back out of it. I've noticed in the thirty years that I've been in the business that it kind of runs on an eight to ten year cycle. Right. Uh, and you kind of get to the end of a decade, and things kind of start to change, uh, and and kind of back up and regroup. And you know, the recording process changes a little bit. Right now, everything's shoved up so very hot. But you've got a lot of purists that are wanting to get back to more of an analog sound and open right. things back up a little bit. So things are moving. They're ebbing and flowing. You know, and I hear a lot of a lot of different ways of, of cutting instrumentation and, and people are pulling guitars back in the mix more and doing different things. You know, so it, so it's it's always evolving and changing. I, you know, so but you know, I think uh, I think from a publishing standpoint and a songwriter's point of view, you know, back then there was a lot more to go around because the it, it, the the format was a lot broader. Everybody totally. was making money back yeah, then. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, but you know, there's there's so many things that have changed over the last several years, and, and you know, coming into it, I mean, as a as a guy, did you get your publishing deal first? You I mean you came in as a yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I got I got my publishing deal in November of 2014. I moved to town in January of that year too, and yeah, I mean that was my main focus. You know, it was like I wanted to write songs, get cuts. Fine. So, what was your what was your background for songwriting? I mean, I was really surprised to find out. I sat down with Hardy, you know, a few weeks ago, that he he went to MTSU and and took a class under MassCom, a songwriting class. Yeah, you know, I didn't know there was such a thing out there. I mean, how did you develop your craft for songwriting? So. We'll start at the beginning, truly, of like, I knew I wanted to play some instrument as a kid, right? And like, at first, it was drums, because it just seemed so like, kind of easy to connect to as a kid. And but then I realized I really wanted to play guitar. So I picked, I first started playing guitar when I was like 11. 
uh, it was the first thing ever in my life that I not only kind of started to understand, but I was like picking up a little quicker. Like, I mean, I was so bad at sports. I mean, I tried everything dog shit. I was so bad, you know, I'd get excited if the basketball coach let me play a quarter, you know (laughs) what I mean? And, um, so yeah, I started playing guitar that turned into, you know, wanting to play with a band. And that turned into like 15, 16 years old going like, I want to go play some gigs, you know? And so really that kept going and going and going. And I realized like, okay, I can obviously go make a little bit of money and do things, playing cover band stuff. I was in like an Almond Brothers band tribute band and stuff. Like I'd go play bars with, with dudes who were much older than me, but that's what I wanted to do. And so finally, when I realized like this is what I want to make part of my living, um, it was really about being a musician. But like, dude, I've always dreamed. I was like, I want to be on my bus behind the microphone in the center stage. Like that was the dream. And so when I really started, man, I'd say 17, 18 years old, just that first little early part of life that you finally get to live where you, you know, you can start to like, just things are changing. That's when I started writing a little bit. And that's when I realized everything was coming out of the, like coming out country in the sense of the country music I grew up listening to and what I was listening to then, you know, I mean, I, I grew up really a Southern rock fan and yeah. like Marshall Tucker band, the outlaws, obviously the Almond brothers band. And you can hear a lot of that in the stuff that I've listened to. Well, that I, I, I appreciate that. I've always tried to do that. And so, you know, but really the songwriting came down to being country because I think it was just like, that's how I grew up, where I grew up. That's what I connected on. Uh, so man, when I turned, 19 years old, I was going to college at Georgia State University, and I hated it so much. Like, I, I when I threw my graduation cap up at high school, I was like, I am done with school. I was just over it, you know, yeah. and um, came home, told my folks that I wasn't into it, and then I wanted to build a plan to get to Nashville. And so I played as many gigs as I could, just cover band stuff, saved up money. When I was 21, I moved to town. But the whole first year prior to that, I, I moved – I would come up to Nashville probably once a week, crash on buddy's couch, like, you know, a lot of people do. And I would just write with anybody who could. And the early guys I wrote with were uh, Cole Taylor, Thomas Archer, Jordan Rager, um, Jeremy Bussey, you know, just uh, guys that would go write with anybody. You know I mean? Yeah. It definitely wasn't anybody really with a big But you name. were cutting your teeth and learning the totally. craft and uh-huh. structure and all those Understanding how – songwriting in nashville goes you know and so when i finally moved there and i was living there like i had at least a little bit of feet in the water that i knew what was going on and i mean dude i i there there were days i I wrote two or three songs a day i did not give a shit like i wanted to write as much as humanly possible in october of 2013 before i moved i met a guy named jeremy stover who produces justin moore and that was kind of the success he had had up to that point he'd also been a He'd had some hits as a songwriter. And, um, yeah, I'd say June of 2014, we wrote, you know, three, four songs that year. And he told me, he asked me, uh, he said, what do you want to do? And I was playing guitar for another artist at that time, and they were about to go on a tour uh, and be on a bus and all this stuff. And I went, well, I said, man, I, I feel like I could be a musician, you know, a guitar player but I, I want to write, you know, I, I love writing and I think it could be a cool dichotomy life to go tour and do that. And that can also help 
you know, connections and I can ride at home or whatever. And, uh, I said, I'd, I'd be happy doing that. And then I said, um, but really I'd like to be an artist. I'd like to sing my own songs and do that. And Jeremy said, well, I just want you to know that I can thank you. I think you can do whatever the hell you want to do. And I definitely think you can do the last one. And he was like, and I want to offer you a publishing deal. And that's, that's really where it started. That's awesome, man. You know, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, you've been in town for a few years, but the whole Nashville scene is so much different than it was when I first got here. What's, what's the downtown vibe like as a new artist coming into it, man? What's, what's the, the lower Broadway scene like? What's the culture like? How do you network into it? How do you, how do you navigate that system? Man, when I first moved, it was midtown. Like you didn't even give a shit to go downtown. So it was losers and winners. And that's pretty much where you went and whiskey jam Monday nights. That's what we did. Tin roof did a round on Tuesdays and, you just went and hung out and got really drunk and hoped something came out of it, you know? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <clears throat> so let's talk about touring. So uh, what's uh, what's the biggest crowd you played in front of so far? Man, that's, that's a great question. I, I think to this day it, it's probably still um, – I opened for Dirks Bentley in 2018, and we played the, like, North Dakota State Fair. Yeah. And that's when, like, I had a single out. But I was kind of playing some random stuff here and there, just like whatever. Like I wasn't on a big tour. But that's when I learned how crazy like Midwestern fairs are. Oh, yeah. And just, I, I mean, I think there was like 20, 22,000 people. And it was like when we went on stage, they were already there. And, and that, probably tore up. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dirk Slater said he goes, it looked like the damn school bus dropped him off, man. <laughs> like, just like college kids going nuts. And then, um, we just toured all summer with Dirks and uh, it was a blast. But I and, love and guy, also, man. yeah, he he literally is just like I tell people all the time, like he he's just like the model guy, man. I mean, he is so sweet, he's so kind, and he's still a just an absolute badass. Like his band's great. I mean, that tour was like vacation. Like everybody got we had so much fun on the road. I got to fly with him a few times, which was a, a lot better in Southwest. Yeah. No, no dig at Southwest. I like you too, but uh that was a lot of fun. And maybe Tortuga, I think, this year was was pretty wild. It was pretty nuts. You get nervous at all? Sometimes? On not it depends. Usually a first night of a tour, I, I I'm just like maybe not nervous, but like I'm on edge if like if it's a new set. I'm just kinda like in my head about like don't mess this up, remember this change, but not not really too much anymore, man. I think I think the last time I truly got really nervous was uh, my, when I made my Grand Ole Opry debut. Yeah, that, I was like, oh, this is pretty crazy. Do you replay uh, shows in your mind after you get done at night? If you've had a little couple of glitches or things, do you do you restructure things? Do you go through intros and outros? Do you do that stuff in your head at night? Totally, and it it's always like minimum the first weekend of a tour. And we just we're out with Jake Owen right now. The first show we played, me and my my bass player Aaron, who's my band leader as well, I was like, we we gotta we gotta figure some stuff out. I was like, because you know you go like, we lost them here a little bit, or this felt too similar, this was a lull, this was too long, like all those little things, and uh, yeah, totally. But I I love that moment, especially if you're like on a tour where it's every day kind of the same thing. I love when you just get in that groove and then and, you, and it, it finally all comes together. Totally. And it, and you don't even have to think about it anymore. Like you can go up there and actually put on the show and not be thinking like, 
where it has that movement and that lilt and yeah. and you give the audience an opportunity to breathe i mean yep. that's that's real important you know i uh, i just think it's fascinating how people structure their shows everybody has a different philosophy about how they put their show together you know uh, uh would you ever end with a ballad how do you how do you end your show we end it we end it right now with after a few and i do kind of like a extended guitar solo at the end and then a walk off but yeah i don't know i mean man i totally would i mean i, I mean what what do you end your shows with pay, pay me, me a Birmingham. Birmingham. Yeah. yeah and but like but, I, but without i mean but that is the pinnacle of how my, could you not yeah yeah i mean yeah. totally i mean it's like everything is ramping up to that point for me but i never i never would have thought i would be in the show with a battle like that either but but it works totally it, i mean it, that's we I, I saw garth this summer and like the dance is like oh it's still the, magic it's just it's crazy and he's and it's you always want the trick is you always want to leave that audience wanting more you want to leave them with that hunger for a little bit more and you you know you just you want to give them everything you got you want to leave it all on the stage out there a hundred percent i i'm finally there, there's a song on this um new ep i put out called if you need anything down here and it's a uh, it's kind of a story song of a guy talking to someone who's passed away and, and the first verse you really have no idea it's just like hey man i know it's been a couple of days since i hit you up and just drove by your parents place and you know all the stuff and um but the whole idea is like if you need anything down here you know have a red chevrolet drop by put a skinner song on the radio you know if you need anything down here you know how to reach me and we have just now started playing that in the set i've never never recorded a song like that in my life everything's been just kind of like right here you know and yeah. trying to keep it upbeat and i'll tell you man it is um it's an awesome moment and i i don't know why i've really i've really never had a moment like that and it, honestly i think it goes over the crowd on just as good as like the hit song they know you know because i think when i look back on shows that i loved growing up and the ones that really connected with me it's like there's moments and i think that's the toughest thing is like making moments in a set that people can connect to and 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 they'll talk about down the road because i mean they're gonna you know they'll go like oh yeah travis sang abby he sang after a few loved it that was great but i want them to walk away and go like oh man that that guitar solo on that one song that that, that was cool that came out of left field or you know that song I, I wasn't expecting that and those are things as i tour more i'm realizing arguably are just as important sometimes if not more than just playing making sure the hit songs at the right spot absolutely and you know i I, uh, I stray from record versions quite a bit on certain songs add instrumental things in and you know intros and segues for flow and stuff you always want to try to create those moments man because you know what what was the first uh, concert that you ever saw man the the first concert i ever went to in my life was a uh, little richard and at, no dude, and atlanta rhythm section opened up for him wow it was quite the uh, lineup it was pretty cool but my my grandfather was a massive little richard fan he was a you know the architect of rock and roll baby and i saw him in macon georgia which is where he's from and that was so cool i mean i was so young man i have like these weird weird little snapshots that i can remember that concert but as a whole i don't remember it the first show i begged my parents to let me go to was motley Crue, and my dad took me when i was 12 years old <laughs> not a good place for a 12 year old but damn yeah, it was but, awesome <laughs> i bet that was something to see i was like huh i don't really want to play video games anymore 
I think I want to pick up a guitar. I think that was an excellent idea. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. like, they got a lot of they got a lot of power up there on stage. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and as you as you get done with sets and you roll things through your mind and you you know you see which things work and you say, well, I need to take a little pause here. I need to let this section breathe a little bit more. I need to talk a little bit more here. Maybe I need to put a, a instrumental section here. It's all about creating that flow and dynamic because you want to hit people hard, you want to rock them, but then you want to let them relax a little bit. If if everything is like this all night then then you really you it's gotta, fatigue it's, it's fatigue yeah. it's ear fatigue it's 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 physical fatigue you really want to give them that emotional roller coaster i think that's that's the trick to structuring a show and and what's what i've found is harder you know you it's at this stage of my career it's pretty easy to do it in a 45 minute set because i mean i can trim the fat off and just just bam 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 uh being able to do it for two hours or go out like you know i heard billy joe i mean uh, um uh, Elton John was doing two and a half, three hour shows. Yeah. You know, being able to go out there and command that crowd and hold that audience's attention for that long a period of time is pretty, it's a masterful thing to be able to do. And you really have to get seasoned to be able to get to that. A hundred percent. I saw, I, I, I saw Elton twice. Um, I saw him when I was in high school and then I saw him in 2019 and Madison just saw the, the final tour at Nissan stadium. She's seen him like five times. And, you know, I can remember that the 2019 one, you know, what I loved about it was how the show was so long, but you, you go back to that, that ebb and flow of a great set. There's moments in it that go down and they breathe and he talks, but man, like those true entertainers and masters, like it, it's taken him his whole life to put together oh, something absolutely. like that, you know, Not to where I, I never thought like, oh, here's a beer break. Here's the, you know, it just, everything was so good. And if it ever felt like maybe it was dipping a hair low, you kind of knew you're like, he's going to do something after this that's going to bring, and then boom, like Saturday night's all right or something, you know, just, and you were going like, oh my God, man, just. Who's, uh, who's your favorite uh, country artist that's out right now, male or female? I mean, hands down, probably Cody Johnson. He's a badass. Massive fan. Yeah. Um, and man, he's a, he's a super close friend of mine and, 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 and I have loved him for years and years, but I'm telling you, man. I think Hardy's creativity and and his um, vision right now is just like unparalleled. I, I'm so excited for his record, and you know I I love hard rock. I love heavy metal. You know, I mean that, that as the guitar player in me, I love that stuff. And I think it's so cool that he's just doing an album that's half country, half. I dig it too. I, I just think I think country's in a very healthy state, and there's a lot of differences of opinion, especially and and I'm friends with a lot of older cats, man. And you know, uh, and and I appreciate the traditional vibe and and people wanting to hang on to the past, but I think there's room for all of it. There always has been. And I'm a heavy metal fan too. I mean, I grew up loving hair bands and rock and roll and stuff when I was a kid too, and still love some of the real the harder rock and stuff that's yeah. out there. I listen to a little bit of everything, but I, I think country is in a very healthy place. I think we have some really unique artists that are that are exploding onto the scene i i, I think it's went through kind of a lull there for a little bit but right. I think we're in a really good place well and it always it always seems like the the whether it's like hard rock influence whether it's you know hip-hop rap influence or or the kind of americana folk influence every time someone burst out on the scene with a new perspective it's it's always polarizing oh yeah but it's always unique and different and like for me just the the ones that immediately come to my mind are like i remember when sam hunt came out 
and like FGL's first song. And then like, I remember, you know, Al Dean with like my kind of party and like it just the guitar solos. And for me, you know, and you always get like a shit ton of people that try to replicate it for about three years. Yep. And that's where it goes like, all right, come on, man. We're, you're already by, behind the eight ball, you know? But I, I always think there's something to be said for the people who spearhead some of those movements. And uh, it's cool. I'm, I'm so interested to see what, what what's next, you know? So what's, what does the next year hold for you? You know, we're winding down this year. What uh, any, any tours on the horizon? You know, you got new music coming out. I know you got a new single that you just put out recently. Yep, and uh, I'm, I'm back in the studio in like three or four weeks. And, man, I, I think next year – you know, touring wise, I mean, it's kind of up in the air. I mean, we're playing, we're playing some shows here and there. And as far as any big tours, I mean, nothing, nothing quite yet, but, uh, man, I think for me, I want to, I want to put out a song every six to eight weeks. Really? I mean, I'm just not even, I don't think I'm really concerned. Is that the label strategy or yeah, have y'all discussed this with management and stuff? Or? That, that's really what I want to do. And I told it to a few people at the label and they were like, essentially we got through this year we had a great year with the EP coming out, and I feel like with Spotify, Apple, Pandora, Amazon, like all the DSPs, YouTube, like we're in a great spot and a great relationship. And and the biggest thing is they're always just like, dude, just keep feeding it. We just want more. We just want more. That seems to be the trick these days. Well, and I, I, the think, I think, too, it's like, you know, I'm getting married in May. Like I've got a lot of story to tell there about me and Madison and, you know, and then I – I want to lean. I mean, like you said, country is in such a healthy place. I want to lean in more to the roots of what I fell in love with, like Southern rock and blues and, and guitar based music. And, and, but I still want to put out some rowdy redneck anthems. You know, there's yeah. so many things I want to do. And I don't think they necessarily have to all live on one CD. No, you know, like and, I think and, they can live with this one's out. Then this one comes out and, Maybe here's a duet. Maybe whatever it is, and and just kind of pick and choose as things as opportunities come along. I, th I think that's a healthy way to go about it, man. Do y'all do you do a lot of videos these days, lyric videos and things? That's I I just did a music video for Buy a Girl a Drink, and it, it freaking exploded. I mean, it had like two million views on Facebook in like ten days, and I and I've never really had that. And honestly, I didn't think much about it. They were like, "Let's do a video." I'm like, "All right, cool," and we. Do it together. My buddy PJ Brown directed it. He filmed a bunch of B-roll for three days by himself. I did a performance shot in an hour, and I thought, all right, cool. You know, I went. And ate, I was in Charleston. I went. And wow. ate, I went and ate oysters and drank margaritas and went and flew home. And it's turned out to be, at least in the first couple of weeks, one of the most successful videos we've done. You know, so I, I do think videos still. When they're done right, I still think they kick ass, you know? Yeah, they do have a definite place. I don't, I don't you know, more so on social media than I don't think there's much of a, a platform for them on television and right. stuff anymore. I'll see them, what well, they play on Sundays. Which is such a bummer, man, because, like, I, it, I, used, I, it was a huge problem. I grew up with that in the, in the morning, man, and it yeah. was so cool, you know? And I, lo I love hearing the stories about old videos and the big budget ones, and like they oh, had shit man. on helicopters and stuff. Oh like, man, we spent 150 grand on a video. Just crazy. Oh yeah, I mean a lot. <laughs> I mean, but that was pretty much that was almost as equal as like radio. Dude, I, I got mean, to be a cowboy. I got to be a race car driver. I got to be a scientist. <laughs> I got to be a pirate. <laughs> Amazing. Yep, I got to be all kinds of stuff. All in one video, right now. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your outlets, man? What do you do when you're not working? What's your downtime like? 
I'm trying to rip lips, baby. I'm trying to catch big fish. Uh, That's all I care crappie about. Crappie or bass or bass, you, pretty much. I need to get into crappie fishing because I will tell you, I'm not necessarily crazy about crappie fishing, but I love crappie eating. I love I'm on a catch and eat program. I have a hard time on the catch and release program now. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty tough. I love the saltwater fish too. You do saltwater? I do, yeah. I'm trying to get a little bit more into it. I will tell you, I've fallen more in love with like bay fishing over deep sea. Yeah, like specs and stuff. But I love man, I I love uh going way out, man. The, the, tuna, the marlin marlins, fishing. Caught some big marlin. I mean, and even snapper fishing. I love good red snapper. I'll tell you, a whole fried snapper I think's the best. Oh, man, I've got so thirteen good. rods in the front seat right now let's go after that. so so derek is a river rat so i got him into kayaking several years ago so he 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 lives down on the buffalo and uh, oh yeah in perry county he's buffalo river and tennessee river and man he he got me into kayaking so much i loved it so much i went and bought another kayak two weeks after the first time we went that's amazing dude i so i bought i bought a boat in uh 2020 as a lot of people did and I, i realized too and look I do like to golf, but I ain't swung a golf club in like a year and a half, man. It's just because here's why. Like when it's 75 degrees and it's sunny and nice, I will literally feel guilty if I'm not on the water. I mean, that's how tough it is for me. Like that's how much I love it. And I love to fish the Cumberland River. Um, There are fantastic smallmouth there at certain times of year. I caught a four and a half pounder uh, in the winter of 2020. I caught a four pound. I, I caught a handful of fours. This spring, and my dad got his first one, too. Favorite smallmouth lure? Go. Well, it's a time of the year thing. Whopper plopper. Well, I'll throw a shaky head with uh, any kind of, like, little Z-crawl junior or something. Mm-hmm. Usually I throw it in white. Yeah. But I'll tell you, man, I caught a three-pound the other day throwing a DT-8, throwing a crankbait. Dude, those bubble gum flukes? Yep. I don't know what it is about them. I bought a pack just to prove my buddy wrong. Hot pink, they work. There's nothing better, though, than setting the hook. Yes. Like, I, I like chatterbaits can work and spinnerbaits can work but but i i love that moment of feeling it hit pulling up my slack and in my head i'm like i'm about to hit this dumb fish <laughs> with nothing it's ever felt and then you go boom and then you pull it out of its lip and you don't hook it you know and you're like then you feel like an idiot but i love it man it, that it really is like i fell head over heels in love with it in 2020 and i mean i fished a little bit growing up like my dad was obsessed with it before I was born. He tournament fished, and I don't know, man. I, I just think when you finally, when you catch like one really good one, you either you make a decision right then and there. Like, are you gonna go all in, or do you, are you gonna go like, oh, that was cool, no big deal. So that that's the biggest thing I do. Um, I hunt a little bit. I, I love to duck hunt. I really do like duck hunting. That's yeah. something I've fallen in love with. I think the camaraderie of it is what I really love. Is you can drink beer and talk to your buddies and sit there you don't have to be totally quiet and everything and that's fun it's just being outside man makes all the difference in the world man. being able to escape from all the craziness and running up and down the interstates like we do and the, yep. you know the 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 bars and the smoke and all the stuff getting some vitamin d can yep. change your life man i'm telling you it's just i that's why we moved out to the country man i just love sitting on the back porch and walking the property and doing all that stuff madison finally said the magic words the other day she said 
How much do you think it costs to build a pond out here? I say, no going back now, honey. I know what a pond. I know what I'm spending my money on now. We're doing this. She was like, well, just check. I said, nope, you already asked. We're doing it. We're doing it. Those are all good things, man. I'm telling you what, well, congratulations on all your success. And I hope the next year is uh, absolutely wonderful for you, man. I hope things continue to move in a great positive direction, man. Always a pleasure sitting down and chatting with you. Anything that we've missed, boys? Scott, you got any questions? I know you love to talk about hunting and fishing. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm more of a songwriter. I, I, you mentioned about Abby yeah. and the crowd response. Tell me about that. That that song, I listened to it this morning, and it was just, you don't hear a lot of songs. Yeah, like, totally. Man, I think. Anybody uh, but you kind of think. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the first song I cut that I didn't write. And I heard it. A buddy of mine played it for me. And, I mean, when I heard the chorus and I heard the That's Anybody But You, like I, I mean, I hate to be this way, but it was like the the dollar signs flashed in my mind. I was like, that is the biggest hit I've ever heard. Like I thought it was so insanely well written, and it but it was still cool. Like it wasn't cheesy. Like it felt like a good idea and something. I like I had that feeling of like, damn, I wish I wrote that. And I think that's like the best compliment a songwriter can give or receive. And um, yeah, I cut it. I remember I posted a video of it acoustic. I'm like, oh, here's a new song of mine. And just like, even just the response right there, we were out on tour with Riley Green in 2019 and we were playing it and it hadn't come out yet. And I was watching people as we would get to the chorus and, and you'd see girls look at each other and they're like, oh my God. Like, they're like, that's awesome. And, and, uh, yeah, man, it just, it's like that moment we love to build to. You talk about the ebb and flow and building things. We always have always had this kind of big rocking intro that swells up and it gets big and then it just hits that lick and it's it's my favorite part of the show to see the crowd nice. after two notes they go oh shit you know yeah, and that's cool it's awesome man. there's nothing better than just going I'll just sing it and her name is and just letting the crowd I mean it's it's awesome man I mean I just think uh, who I think it was all the stars and lining that connected I think I think they wrote up. Uh, Chase and Matt Jenkins and Ashley Gorley, just they wrote the hell out of it. It's so hooky, but it's anthemic and it's easy to sing, and it's a cool idea because yeah. we as dudes go like, "Oh yeah, I, I've dated that girl before," and then the girls go like, "Well, I'm Abby. I'm the yeah. cool one." Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. The next like, like everybody yeah. can kind of relate to it. They're all uh, exactly all way. yeah, yeah. That's the, that's a well written song there. <laughs> no, no doubt, dude. So, uh, want to say thank you, uh, uh. November the 22nd, uh, we're having my 17th annual turkey fry and concert at the Wild Horse that night. It's going to be awesome. And you man. will be there along with Gary Allen. Thank you for that. It's going to be a blast. And uh, we're, we're going to be cooking 1,200 turkeys this year and feeding a whole lot of people the week of Thanksgiving. Well, so just, thank you for helping. Just save me two legs. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to eat. I got friends cooking Cajun food all day, so we're going to have gumbo and etouffee and all that good oh, stuff. Oh, my so, God. It'll be I got, great. I got a lot of friends from Louisiana, so we're going to have some Cajun food. Thank God we're not singing at 1.30 in the afternoon. Or I might run into a problem. I'm telling you what. Appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you, Travis Jennings. Thank you. Rocking on out there, Junior.